King Uzziah. Yeah, I uh, thought about this when the first guy started working on the sermon, King Uzziah, and I thought, you know, got folks coming in here waiting for a word from the Lord, or maybe they're in here waiting for me to get through so they can go to Dairy Queen and get a get a slaw dog or whatever and uh, hear the first words King Uzziah doesn't that just sort of make cold shivers run up and down your spine King Uzziah pastor starts the sermon out with a man name of a man you you could barely pronounce that died 2756 years ago I mean that makes my blood sort of percolate don't it make yours perk just a little bit yeah but King Uzziah's got a little something to teach us I am a A self-professed, proud nerd boy, understanding completely that some of the things that sort of make my blood boil make other people's blood run cold. But I think this morning that what we've got to talk about might help us all understand where we are and what's going on and what we do next. I think King Uzziah is a good place to start this morning. We will not end up with King Uzziah. King Uzziah was uh, the king of Judah. That's the southern part of Israel. Uh, We think of Israel, you know, that big geographic land of Israel, but actually Israel, you know from your Sunday school studies, some of you that have been going to Sunday school as long as I have, that the top half of the the nation, about 10 tribes, broke off from the two southern tribes. Top 10 tribes were called Israel. Bottom two tribes were called Judah. Judah included the land that included the, the, the city of Jerusalem. So that's where they were located. And King Uzziah was the king of that southern portion of the kingdom. He was the king of Judah. He became king when he was 16 years old. Now, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but if any of you are 16, would you just raise your hand? 16 years. Joseph, you're 16? And the king, oh, my Lord. 16, the same, same age as these two guys, 16 years old when, they, when, they became, when he became the king of the southern kingdom. He was the king for 57 years, and he was really, really good, 56 years, I'm sorry, and he was really, really good at what he did. He was a great king. The Bible puts it this way, said, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, prophet, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. You can find this in the 26th chapter of Second Chronicles. I know while you're eating your slaw dog that you're going to pull your smartphone out and you're going to look this up and read it because it is so exciting. King Uzziah was the man. He was the man. He made the southern kingdom so strong that they whooped everybody. Now, y'all understand from a southern point of view, there's two ways of looking at things. You whip somebody, that means that they got taken care of. You whoop them, that means they didn't get up, right? If I whooped them, man, they're done. And this boy whooped so many folks that there were nations coming to him and say, look, let me give you a little bit of money. <laughs> we love you. We adore you. We think you're the man. Don't, don't fight us. Don't fight us. Leave us alone. Let's just give you money, and we'll be all happy. And he says, cool, bring it on. Give me some more. That's good. like that. That's nice. He was the man. He loved his people, too. He particularly loved the farmers. The Bible says that he loved the soil like the farmers did. 
And he built towers for protection all over the place. He built them around. When you read that chapter in, in Second Chronicles, you'll see he built towers all around Jerusalem. And he built towers in the desert too so they'd have forewarning and there'd be people out there to defend the nation. He dug wells. You know, there's not a whole lot of water in that area. So he dug wells so that the people would have water. And he was all about technology. He was all about technology. The Bible tells us that his army had the latest technological advances in warfare. Said he wore, they had shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings to cast stone. And, and, and if you listen to Scripture sometimes, it really tells you things. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men. Now, look, when I read that, the first thing that went through my mind is all of those guys, some of you guys, younger guys, maybe a little older guys, that really, like me, have considered yourself and wear proudly the badge of the fact that you are a nerd, that people don't think like you do. It makes you feel a little weird sometimes. You're a little uncomfortable. You're a little out of step. Your drummer's like half a step behind or half a step ahead. You're never... These are the people he's talking about here. The skillful men who are a little bit different from everybody else. They had these great ideas that nobody else had. This king was smart enough to bring all of those people together into one think tank and said, okay, guys, I need weapons that are going to be better than everybody else's weapons that will keep us safe. And they came up with things. They said that, uh, uh, that would be mounted on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones doesn't sound like much to us, but in today's terms, that's like laser-guided weapons and laser weapons and F-22s and all that kind of stuff. Back in his day, he was the man. He was the bomb. He was the head honcho. The problem that happened came in chapter uh, 26, verse 15. says, so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped. I love that word. God didn't just help him. God didn't just bless him. God didn't just give him stuff. He was marvelously blessed. I mean, he had it all till... He became strong because see when he became strong he started to believe in his own press you know everybody keeps saying this listen that happens to you pastor that's a good sermon pastor that's a good sermon pastor that's a good sermon to one day you start thinking every sermon you write's good <laughs> yeah that's right i come in there and the people are just slobbering waiting to hear what i'm saying you know not salivating. I mean, it's like, oh, I can't wait to hear what the boy's got to say. And then you stand up and preach and you bore them so bad, you almost watch people die of boredom and you realize that I am not the man. God is the man. Happened to your boy Uzziah. He was the man. So what he decided to do, because he was the man, is he didn't have to follow the rules anymore. So he went into the temple. Don't sound like a big deal to us. He went into the temple, and he went to a place in the temple that he wasn't supposed to go, and he offered up an offering of incense, which was not his to offer. Because, see, he was installed as a political leader, and God had installed other people as religious leaders, and he usurped their role, basically telling God, listen, I understand what you did, but I know better than you because I am the man, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to offer up this offering. And God looked at him and said, no, you're not. Who do you think you are? And God struck him down with a disease that separated him from all of his people. And he had to live alone until the day that he finally died. Now, here's what I need you to hear. 
This is what I need you to listen to. This is an academic sermon. It's built on point after point. You've got to hang in with, here with me. I'm going to consider it a success if 10 of you are awake when we get through. What he did is he violated God's instruction for the separation of church and state. That's what he did. That's what he did. Now, we have all these bright ideas that Thomas Jefferson came up with the idea of the separation of church and state when he wrote the letter back to the Connecticut Baptist telling them, oh, you had not got to worry about the federal government. We're going to erect a wall of separation that will keep us from ever. Listen to this. Listen to this. Don't believe me. Go look it up and read it for yourself said that, you know what, we're going to erect a wall between the government and the, and, the, and the church so that the government will never interfere in the way churches conduct business. That's what he said. That's where the wall was set up. And we think, well, that's Thomas Jefferson came up with that idea. No, he didn't. That idea came up 2,771 years ago. It's been called the separation of church and state for six hundred years we ain't so smart it's been around a long time and for 2704 years it was defined the same way for 2704 years that's a long time now there's a couple of people in here that look like you might have been there at that time but I'm pretty sure you weren't 2,704 years. Now, let's move along. Keep that point in your head, okay? Romans 13, 1 through 7, we read that earlier. I'm not going to read it again because we got a lot to cover and we got no time to do it. In that, I told you to pay attention to how many times God's name was referred to in those six verses. In those six verses, his name was referred to eight times. And this is what it says about God and the government. Are you ready? Number one, there is no authority except from God. Doesn't matter what the government is, doesn't matter where it is or what it is, there is no authority except from God. All governing authorities have been instituted by God. Every last thinking one of them. Whether we think they're good, bad, or indifferent, they're instituted by God. We are not to resist. Now, this is the only thing that needs amplification in here. When it talks about resist here, it means we are not to work for the overthrow of the government. It doesn't mean that we, we don't resist things that the government does that are wrong. It means that we do not actively work to overthrow the government. We are not to resist what God's appointed. People who work for the government as rulers are God's servants. We call them servants of the people. They're God's servants. The rulers who are God's servants are avengers to carry out God's wrath. Think about what he's saying here. Remember that, uh, the, the verse that says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord? Yeah, it's not yours. When somebody harms you or does something bad to you, it's not yours to get vengeance. God has set an instrument in place to get his vengeance for you. So if someone in your family is murdered, it is not your right to go out and murder somebody to have an eye for an eye for a, or a tooth for a tooth, but it is the government's arm to stand up and say, God says you don't murder, you have to be held into account for what you have done wrong. 
We're to submit to these authorities for two reasons. The first is to avoid God's wrath. I think that's always a real good reason. And reason number two is because it says for sake of conscience, because it's the right thing to do. God put it in place. Finally, we are to pay our taxes. That's what it says. To governing authorities because they are ministers of God. So we have to pay our taxes. Now, Scripture's plain. Doesn't need a whole lot of amplification. Doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. Got to stay with me, guys. Governments are established by God to make sure that the world does its business decently in order so God's church can be in that civil arena, can have a place to exist physically, and can do its business decently in order. God's all about that decently in an order thing. And that's what he's done. He set up a civil government so that we could have peace and live peaceably so that we could worship him in a peaceable manner. That's the whole idea behind this. Now, what does this mean to us, especially in light of the fact that our government continues to pass laws that are ungodly? What are we supposed to do? Do we read Romans 13, 1 through 7, and we go, well, I just got to accept it. That's what it says. Well, now follow me in the argument because my answer to that is no. No, we do not. And here's why. And listen to me and think, people. Think. Forget about the slaw dog. It just ain't that good. Think with me for just a minute. In Romans, Paul is writing a letter to a group of people who live in a type of government called an emperor. They had an emperor, a dictatorship. They had no voice. They had no voice in their government. The people had no voice in their government whatsoever. The Senate that was not elected was the one that installed the emperor. And they looked at that emperor once he was in, after all their political maneuverings, they looked at him as a type of God. And that's where they lived, and that's the place that they lived. Now, our government, the American experiment, how does our government, who is the ruler in our government? Is it Obama? Is it the legislature? Is it the Supreme Court? Who is the ruler? Let me read a part of a speech. About 150 years ago, Abraham Lincoln made this speech that started this way. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I got the whole thing. I've been debating whether to read this because it's just, I know the time. I want you to hear the whole thing. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived, conceived on the idea that all men are created equal and so dedicated can long endure. We're met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate we cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, not long remember, what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus so far nobly advanced. 
It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and this government of the people by the people and for the people shall not perish from this earth man I wish I'd written that speech that is a powerful speech uh, President Abraham Lincoln gave that address at Gettysburg on November the 19th of 1863. In there, he recognized two facts, two facts I want you to hang on to, two facts that he recognized here. Number one, he said that we are a nation under God. He didn't say we were a godly nation. He didn't say we are a Christian nation. What he acknowledged is the fact that all governments are established by the power of God and that we have to answer to a supreme being. That's all he was saying. But he acknowledged a very important point that we answer to God that this nation is under God. But then he defined who the government was. Of the people, by the people, for the people. We are the government. We are the government. Well, those people in Washington, how'd they get there? They got there because you either voted or you didn't. We are the government. They are our representatives. Meaning that I can't go to Washington to do my thing, so I elect a man to go do it for me, or a woman to do it for me. We are the government. We want to blame all that's happening right now in our country on what's happened in the past. But all the things that are happening now are happening because of the choices that we, the people, have made it is crucial for you to understand this. It's crucial for me to understand this if we're ever going to get past where we are. We want to blame it all on the 1960s ruling to remove the Bible from being read in schools and from prayer in the schools. That has nothing to do with it. It started in 1947. In 1947, the Supreme Court made a ruling on a very mundane, very, very mundane court case. There was a guy in New Jersey who had his shorts in a wad because the state of New Jersey was paying transportation for every child to go to school, no matter what that school was. So if they were going to a religious school, they were paying for them to get to that school. And if they were going to a state-sponsored school, they paid for, them to the, they paid for everybody to go to school. That was, that was New Jersey's rule. And this guy says, wait a minute. I don't believe the Constitution ought, supports us paying for people going to a parochial school. And the Supreme Court ruled against the guy. But in their ruling, they redefined the separation of church and state. In their ruling, instead of it being the church, the state will not interfere with the church, they flipped the ruling around and said, we have to fix it so the church can't interfere with the state. That's all they did. Sounds very simple. 
But what they did is what had been ruled for 2,000 years just got flipped on its head. In 47, the people redefined the statement to mean that the government has the right to enter the temple and do what it pleases. It regulates where we meet, when we can meet, where we can worship, how we can worship. So no, it doesn't, Randy. Oh, yeah? Go try to build a church down the street somewhere and get yourself a zoning permit in the wrong place. You can't put a church there. Now marriage. You see, just as Uzziah thought that he was big enough to walk into the presence of God in violation of what God had ordained, we the people did the same thing. So here we are reaping the reward of those whose hubris offended the Lord. We live in a land, and you tell me that we don't. We live in a land where the just are called unjust. We live in a land where slothful people are said to be deserving of reward. We live in a land where justice sometimes is determined by how much money you have. We live in a land where instead of a man and a woman thoughtfully, thoughtfully deciding whether, the, whether they are going to have sexual relations because they know if they do, the baby could be created out of that, we say that they don't need to choose up front. No, that's not when the responsibility lies. The responsibility lies, forget worrying about all that. Just do what you want to do. And if she becomes pregnant, then it's her responsibility. Women, do you see how you have been brainwashed? Instead of it being the man and the woman's responsibility to decide, now, ladies, it's your responsibility to decide if you're going to raise this child alone or whether you're going to eradicate it. Oh, it's your choice. Yeah, your choice started way back here. And it involves the guy who now has no responsibility except to have a little fun. We live in a land where after 3,000 years of marriage, being a sacred trust between a man and a woman, we can now say that we can marry anybody. We ought to sing this coming. It's in the scripture so plainly it almost made my head jump back when I finally read it through those eyes. Flip back in the book of Romans to chapter 1. Listen to me close. Don't get the wrong idea. Don't you dare walk out of here hating gays and lesbians and transgenders and bisexuals. Don't you dare. We are not saying that at all. Starting with, uh, starting with verse 18. If my contact will settle down. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men by, uh, who, by, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We want to look at that and read that and say that talks about, um, that talks about gays and lesbians. It does not. It talks about our society that is absolutely sex crazy. I was watching the Game Show Network. And I, no, I wasn't. Was it Game Show Network last night? Or did I turn it? I forget. It was one of those networks. Anyway, I was watching it right before bed, and this commercial came on that if I had said those words in the presence of my mama when I was a little boy, not only would she have popped my mouth, there is no telling if I would be off restriction yet or not. And it was on a commercial on television. Something's wrong with that. That's what it's talking about. We absolutely glorify sex, human body, and pleasure. Second part, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That's the one that talks about LGBT. Number uh, third one, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that they are the people that didn't follow the truth is who he's talking about now. That's who he's talking about. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, finding new ways to be bad, disobedient to parents, hmm, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they may know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. One of these days, we'll do the full treatment of this thing. We don't have time right now, but Paul, I want to point out that Paul states that the wrath of God is poured out not on lesbian, gay, transgender, and bisexual people. It's poured out on those who suppress the truth. On those who suppress the truth. And unfortunately, as I read this text, I'm convicted that that's us. Because of our forefathers and our governance, we have allowed ourselves, we have voted in leaders who have suppressed the truth. And you know I'm right. We have allowed people to be in Congress that are the biggest liars on the face of this planet. But they tickle our ears and they make us feel good. So if the wrath of God is being poured out, what does it look like? Well, it's not fire and brimstone. It's not Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not angels wielding flaming swords. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. 24 and 25 says... Therefore, God gave them up. There's his wrath. He doesn't walk with them, those who don't follow the truth anymore. He doesn't walk with them anymore. And so he turned them over to impurity so that when Randy's watching the game show network, he can understand that women who are going through menopause can take this pill so that it's okay again. Look at verse 26. He gave them up to dishonorable passions. There's where we see where sacred marriage has been redefined. Because God says, you know what? This is the way y'all want to play the game? Play it. 
Let me know how that turns out for you because I'm not handling it. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says he gave them up to a debased mind. And if you look at verses 29, 30, and 31, doesn't that sound very contemporary to you? was watching the news this morning. They had more murders in Chicago during the time of the Iraq war than we had people killed in the Iraq war. Hmm. I wonder how that happened. Now, here's the good news, and there is good news in this. God doesn't institute these things for people's destruction. He institutes them for people's redemption. And he has made a way for us to get out of this hedonistic, godless morass that we have gotten ourselves into. First, we go back to Mustafa and the Lion King. Remember who you are. Figure out today for yourself who you are. Are because let me tell you what's going to happen. These people that are saying that this, this uh, Supreme Court ruling is not going to have an effect on people, it just means that lesbians and gays are going to be able to marry, those people are lying to you because there is a group of people out there, not the majority, but there's a small group of people out there that hate God, and in five years, I guarantee you, I, I, maybe I'm a prophet, maybe I'm not, but I believe that in five years there'll be preachers going to jail over this. I believe it. I absolutely believe that's where we're going down this road. And it will not be long before people who say that only a man and only a woman should get married, there will be a time that you will be certainly called to your face homophobic and that you are bigots because you believe only a man and a woman should get married because that's what the Bible says. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Some of you are only going to have to endure it maybe 10 more years. My 16-year-olds over here might have to endure it for 100. Are you ready for that? Can you stand it? Who are you? Are you a lover of pleasure or are you a lover of liberty? I read this week, any nation which for an extended period puts pleasure before liberty is likely to lose the liberty that it misused. And that's where we are, and that's what we have to decide. Do we leave pleasure, the comfort and the creature joy it provides? Do we love that, or can we leave it because we love the liberty that is afforded in Christ Jesus more? As my daddy used to say, it's time to fish or cut bait. What do you believe, and what are you going to stand up for? Number two, realize that you have been personally flawed in your beliefs and be willing to turn away from them. I am violating every rule of sermon this morning because I'm supposed to be saying, we, 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 we. And I'm including me in this, but I'm saying this morning, I'm pointing my finger at you individually. Do you realize that you've been flawed in your beliefs and that you're willing to turn away from them? That we have voted for people, for them to make our lives easy, not to make this an environment where truth can be lived out. We did this. We let this happen. Are we willing to own it? And are we willing to be disgusted by the fact that we allowed it to happen? Third, 
We have to turn to God for forgiveness and beg his guidance to lead us to the promised land. This isn't my prescription, it's his. You saw it up on the screen a little while ago. Full context says, when I shut up the heavens that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, if my people, not America, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. When he spoke these words, he was speaking these words to Solomon after the completion of the temple of Solomon. And he said, in that temple is what he was talking about. But now we go to 1 Corinthians 3.16 and we hear, do you not know that you are God's temple? And God's Spirit dwells in you. So when I read this second chronicle scripture, I move it forward into the New Testament and understand that God's eyes are open and his ears are attentive to the prayers made in this temple. He hears me. He's chosen this temple. He's consecrated this temple where his name will be lifted up forever. That's what he says. We are his people. Chosen and consecrated, and he's listening. His eyes and his heart will be with us for all time, he says. He wants to save us. But he says, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from the path that you've been following. And when you do, you're going to hear from heaven, I will forgive you, I will heal your land. I will never make America what it once was. I will make America better than it's ever has been. I don't yearn for the 50s. I don't yearn for a place where the sign said white only, black only. I don't yearn for that. But I yearn for a place where truth can be spoken and people can be civil as they hear the truth and they can debate the truth and people's lives can be changed because of that truth. That's the land I want to live in. I don't care if you're gay, straight, white, black, fat, skinny, short, tall, ugly, pretty. Pick it. All men created equal is what Abraham Lincoln said because he knew that that's how God created us. Will you join me in prayer this morning? I want us to pray right now, but listen, don't just bow your head. I want you to get in a different position. If you're leaning forward, lean back. If you're leaning back, lean forward. If you feel convicted and you want to come to the altar and pray, come to the altar and pray. But I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I want to ask you to join me if you will. I suspect some of you disagree with me. That's fine. That's okay. We'll keep talking as time goes on. We're going to have a decent civil dialogue. But I don't think any one of us can look at Chicago and have more murders in that one city than, than we had killed in a war and say that God's hand is blessing us. He has turned away and he said how to come back. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, as much as I'd like to blame this on other people, we own the fact that we have sinned against you. 
by our votes and the votes of our fathers, we have allowed godlessness to gain a hold on your land. By our silence, by allowing ourselves to be intimidated when the godless threatened our comfort, we have endorsed godless, godlessness in your land. We have sinned before you, and we deserve everything that's happening in this land right this moment. We are sorry that we've allowed this calamity to occur in your land by our unfaithfulness. We don't want to be unfaithful to you anymore. It is miserable living apart from you. We were wrong. We know it, and we see it. And Father, as a child who has no right to ask a favor to his parents, save the fact that our parent, we are our parent's child. We ask a favor of you who has so graciously adopted us through the faithful blood of our firstborn brother, Jesus. We plead with you for the favor of your forgiveness for our unfaithfulness. Forgive us for not standing for you and with you. Forgive us for causing this calamity to happen. Forgive us. Help us to see you more clearly now than ever before. Cause us to follow you in the darkness and in the day. Strengthen us to follow you in the cool of the day and in the harsh heat of the world. May your words fill our mouths and your love fill our hearts. Help us, Father, not to hate those who rejoice in this lawlessness. Cause us by your very person to love all of those whom you have created. Make us to be known by your love and compassion, not by your contempt and anger. Make us into peacemakers, reconciling your creation to the creator. Father God, heal our land. Heal your land. We have proven we are incapable without your mighty hand guiding us. You are our rock and our shield. You are our banner and defender. You are our very life. Forgive us, we pray. Heal us, we pray. Oh, Father, cleanse us as we pray and restore us before your faith. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen.
One more thing I want to say right quick. I know that it's late. I thank you so much for hanging in there and not walking out. And I thank you that you're not asleep. I pray that you heard and I pray that you took something to heart. Even if you want to yell and fuss at me, that's cool. That means we talk and we can get somewhere. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The Supreme Court ruling redefined marriage from a God-defined institution to a human-defined institution is a perfect example of that. No less than the President of the United States of America who just a few short years ago stated that his position was that a man and a woman for life was what marriage was all about. No less than the President of the United States tweeted his pride that this ruling had been made, even following it with a hashtag, love wins. I cannot disagree with him more. I have never been saddened by the action of my country more than I am saddened now. For the first time in my life, I find myself directly on the wrong side of the law because I will not officiate at a wedding of any same-sex or transgendered couple, period. No matter what anyone says, be it the President of the United States, the Supreme Court of the United States, or some magistrate here in the county, I don't care. I will not do it. Furthermore, the pastor of, as the pastor of First Baptist Church, I am leading us to update our bylaws in the July conference to plainly state that this church will abide by God's definition of marriage. The update reads, we believe the word marriage means only a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife, and the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or wife. Marriages outside of these parameters will not be performed by church ministers or on church property. <clears throat> now, I know some of you will, not, will disagree with me on this. I'll be very happy to discuss the biblical basis of that, the biblical basis of that. It has nothing to do with how you feel or how I feel. It has everything to do with God. I will not change my mind, and I will not allow this church to be led down a path of error. Continue to pray for the country. Continue to pray that we have the courage to face what's coming for each one of us. Pray for ourselves, for we don't know what this is going to look like. Barry.